pastors here at Hope Community Church. We're glad you're listening. And today, um, joining us is Natty Severson, um, and she's going to share a little bit of her story on specifically kind of the, the thread through her story of anxiety and how she uh, um, has had to deal with that and what that's looked like. And even, um, I think some of the interesting stuff is even how uh, even people have reacted or how you wade through that in a Christian context because people mm-hmm. have very different ideas but welcome natty <laughs> hi um let's just get started why don't you share a little bit of your story with how that has played out in it and i'll ask questions or we'll we'll yeah. get, go deeper where we need to as a word of introduction i am on our staff team here i hope i work with the leadership development institute and small groups here so if you're listening you might recognize my face a lot of people call me that chick in the hoodie and stocking hat oh yeah uh, so if you need a strong visual that's me uh, how long have you been at hope i we've come to hope for almost 20 years and i've wow. worked here now for 12 so it's amazing mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's crazy that is crazy you're old yeah yeah i have a 17 year old hope you're old <laughs> for sure yeah you're old once you get to you have a 17 year old like yep there's no going backwards no yeah he's almost an adult so Almost. Well, I mean, legally. <laughs> <laughs> Still right. got some work to do. Yeah. All right. So having said that, I kind of like to rewind the clock to, um, you know, growing up, I was a pretty free range kid. Actually, my parents kind of let they were actually in a good way. I don't want to like throw my parents under the bus. Um, they gave us a lot of latitude. I mean, sometimes for better or worse. Right. Um, but they gave us a lot of latitude and, um, you know, so I wasn't a bubble wrapped kid. And I think that people think of like people who are anxious as, as bubble wrapped people who are really risk averse. Uh, that is actually not me. Um, I am not very risk averse, which is silly. You think, yeah, if you had a lot of anxiety, you'd worry about stuff, but, um, mine kind of manifests itself a little bit differently. And it's been an adventure over the course of the years. And I look back at my childhood, I can see moments where I, I can remember not knowing what was happening, but I would call it some variant of a panic attack or some people say anxiety attack or whatever makes people more comfortable. Um, that, that kind of that physiological reaction to stress where your heartbeat accelerates and you're thinking though you, for whatever reason, think you're being super logical is really actually quite illogical. Um, and I can remember moments of that where that kind of spiral and then you calm down. And like obsessive worry in very specific tracks and just like not like sharing that with my mom and having her say, no, 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 you know, that's not the case. And that being enough to like calm me down. But as I got into my 20s, um, I feel like, you know, as you get older, life gets a little trickier. There are more variables at play. There are more things to worry about. And I did a really... I would say fabulous job from a worldly perspective of controlling the things around me, controlling my environment, controlling what happens to me. Um, and to some extent in what I thought was a loving attempt, you know, controlling the things that would impact my kids and my husband and people I loved and my church and different things like that. Um, um, so I thought, I, I thought I really had it together. I would say I would consider myself a a highly independent person. Um, I think I'm, I'm bright, which sounds really arrogant, but like kind of just to, by way of describing myself and, and I think a, a little bit omni-competent, like I, I can do this. I got this. If you would have looked into my life though, I don't know that that's what you would have seen. You would have seen somebody who did have a really great 
group of friends who really did have a wonderful church hope and a lot of people around her to encourage or switch out of the third person around me. You would see that, um, who are helping me grow in my faith and were standing alongside me, keeping me accountable to things. Um, and that is all true. Um, God had really created a support system that not only was blessing me in that present time, but unbeknownst to me was going to be what kept the wheels on. Um, and so we have this great environment and those things look good. And if I would have examined my life, I would have called myself a relatively happy, happy go lucky, kind of easy going, but driven person. I don't know how else to describe that. Um, but something happened after I had my daughter. So my husband and I had been married five years and we actually had our third kid in three and a half years, which is not a good plan for all those listening. That is not a good plan. (laughs) Um, (laughs) love her dearly and wouldn't give her back now, but the stress of having a three-year-old, a one-year-old and a zero-year-old were, were a lot. Um, and this was impending and it was going to happen no matter what that I look back on it. But after I had her, um, the wheels came off for me. Um, and I had noticed increasing measures of anxiety leading up to that, but the wheels came off to the tune of me and Jared and the kids having to move in with my parents. Like my thoughts were racing, spiraling with crazy worry, um, rapid thinking. I was having multiple panic attacks a day. I couldn't drive. Um, and my kids in a true, like everything they say about postpartum issues were true in that I just felt like my kids were white noise. I knew that wasn't true. Like intellectually I knew that wasn't true, but I didn't have any like bandwidth left to deal with a crying infant. And then two toddlers who also didn't like the way I prepared Mac and cheese and we're going to throw it, you know, like all the things that normal toddlers do. Um, I just like, I, I lost it and I couldn't handle it. So we actually had to move in with my parents and it was, the worst. I mean, really, like it was the worst for me and my pride. Like, how did, how did that happen? Like, just a quick aside to was that like it, it hit, got so bad and you said, we need to move in? Or is that Jared saying, this is bad, we need to be somewhere else? Or your parents are kind of all, or, I mean, it's a really good question. I actually don't remember exactly. I would assume it was some hodgepodge. Yeah. Um, I, Jared was aware of what was going on with me. Like I didn't hide it from him or yeah. not share it with him, which was really, turns out to be a really brilliant thing. God's providence there. Yeah. Um, that That's something, probably my extroverted processing and he was the one available in a safe place to go to. Um, and I had friends who I was talking to about this, my small group leader at the time. And um, uh, I, I can't even remember. Uh, it, but, but somehow through all that, you decided to actually move out of our house yeah, I need in, into my family. So we can't, I can't do this. Yep, I can't do this. And it was just like during the weekdays because Jared was working at the time. He still is working, <laughs> but he was working and had to go to work um, and is a teacher. So it couldn't get just like, couldn't say like, Hey, I need a month off to, you know, deal with this thing going on with my wife. I'm sure he could have, but we had this wonderful option of my parents and they're, they're, they're super generous people who had the room for us. And, and, um, um, but it was really, it felt really, I felt really full of shame, full of failure. Um, and, and all of those things were, were welling up inside of me in addition to racing thoughts and doing these things. Um, and so once that I knew it was so bad that I, if I needed to move into my parents, I knew, 
knew in my mind, I knew if you could see my air quotes up, I, I, I had, I knew that I was going to have to step out of ministry because crazy people, this is me talking. Don't, don't, I mean, you can quote me on this, but in my mind at the time, I thought crazy people can't do ministry. They can't be. And at the time I was the chairperson of Hope Community Church. So I wasn't working for Hope yet, but I was like the, essentially like the head gover- head of the governing body of Hope Community Church. Um, like I signed paperwork when we bought property and hired and fired people and did things like that, yeah. you know? Um, and so thought, yeah, you can't be crazy and do that. That's horrible. Cause because you felt, you felt crazy, felt crazy. Like, and I felt a ton of shame, not crazy. Like, Oh, you're being crazy, but like, like clinically crazy, clinically insane. Like yeah. I was worried that I would feel that way forever and that's how it would be. <laughs> and that, uh, I honestly did have the echoes of if my faith was better, <laughs> if I had it together, this would not be happening. So for some reason this is happening. So God must not want me in leadership. And it came on very suddenly, like it boom, like a brick wall. And I called Steve Trichler, our senior pastor, who was also our senior pastor then. Back in the days when church members had access to his cell phone number, <laughs> that's not a thing anymore. Um, but uh, I called him and I'm like, hey, and I gave him the brief story. I'm going crazy. This is me stepping down as church chairperson. And this, his response was the first of so many loving responses um, that God would use to shape me and grow me and make me such a better follower of Christ. So obviously I'm sitting here on this couch, so, you know, it didn't, it didn't go completely sideways, but, um, Steve just said, Hey, wait, just hold, hold on a minute. And, uh, he told me a story of his battle with depression and anxiety, which is on multiple sermons, if you want to hear that. And it was so such a blessing to me that here's this person who I admire spiritually, who is willing to share his own struggle with me. And I hadn't at that point heard it in a sermon. I don't think Christians just didn't talk about it as much, um, 15 years ago. Um, and so he shared his story and he's like, I want you to call Carol Oster, who is still on our staff team too, as our restoring hope, um, director. She meets with people and, and essentially is the, like, um, a non-vocational counseling ministry. Um, and so, um, started meeting with Carol. And so it was really great. Met with her. She gave me, she talked to me about how the gospel really tied into, into, into what I was thinking and feeling. She taught me how to look into scripture and pull out the truths and look into my own life and pull out the lies and then match those up against each other. The lie I was believing that, um, God, I had to control my life because God, wasn't big enough to control my life. Now I could have written at that point, a the- like a five page paper on the theology of how God was big enough. But for whatever reason that wasn't connecting to my heart. Mm. Right. And so yeah. my behavior wasn't reflecting that. So I was trying to control my environment um, because I had fear that bad things would happen to me that, in my mind, the link wasn't there that that's completely in God's control. In my mind, it was completely out of God's control or my behavior reflected the fact that it was completely out of control. And the more I controlled, the more, the less I had to worry about God not being big enough to control what was happening. Right. So then we turn to scripture, uh, in, in, uh, where God, and I just recently did another podcast where I talked about the same passage, but God can do more than we ask or imagine. This is this big God of the universe, right? That can do more than we can ask or imagine. And Carol would take me through that. 
And she would say, does this sound like a God who can't control whether your kid gets strep throat or not? You know, like you're obsessed with this spiraling thought. If my kid yeah. gets strep throat, then this bad thing happens. If I don't, not vigilant enough, if I don't take them to the doctor soon enough, then my kid will die. Then it'll be my fault. Then my life will be over. Just a spiraling, spiraling kind of. Uh, yeah. And then, um, then, you know, or God doesn't love my kid as much as I do. I could have told you that a hundred times that God does, but I was behaving as if God didn't love my new baby as much as I did. That if if God would only love her as much as I loved her, nothing bad would ever happen to her, which is totally terrible theology. Um, but that's how I was behaving. How long were you meeting with her? I mean, how long? I, I mean, mean, I still it, meet with her. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so. I guess I wasn't, I didn't want need you to confess that, but I, <laughs> I meant like, this isn't a, just to clarify, this isn't like you met with Carol once and she said that and then oh. I felt better. This is a, no, this is a long. No, no, we met weekly for quite a while. She was really gracious and offered a lot of her time. Um, she said, it's fun. She said it was fun meeting with me. And I thought to myself, how can that possibly be the case? Cause I'm like, I'm, I go from crying to being a little bit psychotically laughing, you know, just like, and you're think it's fun. And she's like, no, it's because God is working. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. bless you because that that's, is, that's that an is, awesome human. That's her though. Yeah. She genuinely is yeah. gifted and like enjoy seeing people. Yeah. So the gospel applied pro- and, restoring hope yeah. at hopecc.com. Honestly, like, um, if it's not Carol, it's going to be some other trusted person at hope who can stand alongside you and offer you that mm-hmm. same kind of encouragement because she's like, God is working. And she was there to remind me that she was holding up scripture against my lies and saying, that's not true. How mm-hmm. do we now access this truth in your life? How do we combat that lie? So we we're taking things like that. I got a flip notebook cause I didn't have a cell phone yet. I had a kid before I had a cell phone, which is probably one of the youngest <laughs> people that'll ever say that. And I, I kept passages on it that when my thoughts would start to race, Carol had given me the gift of showing me how to read through this notebook, this scripture passages that would help calm my mind. And I remember from Mark, it talks about Jesus being on the waves, you know, in the storm mm-hmm. and he just calls the storm to stop. And then he looks at this, the disciples and says, you know, why are you so afraid? And I think we read that and we think Jesus is like, why are you so afraid? You know, like Darth Vader voice or something. But I think it was more of like, a, why are you so afraid? Yeah. Like it's more empathetic. I'm sure he was exasperated because he's like, oh, disciples. But like, I think he, I could hear this <laughs> yeah. kind of gentle reminder of like, you just don't need to be afraid. I know this mm-hmm. sucks and this is hard because in a first world way, my life was very hard. Um but, um, but in fact, God had this great group of people around me to point me toward the truth. And I think that's, that's that preparation for suffering that I didn't even know I was doing. Right. So other bad things could happen to me and have other difficult things have happened to us along the way. Um, but God prepared me by getting me in this great community, this gospel community where people around me could point me to truth. I trusted them enough that when the wheels were coming off, I, a highly independent, kind of stubborn person could look at that and go, I need you. And that's one of the biggest blessings that came out of that was one, the acknowledgement that I need God that God is as big as he says he is. He does love me and my kids and my husband and my friends as much as he said, as much as I well, way more. I mean, mine is an, inf- my love for them is an infinitesimal slice of um, 
his love for them. And they're reminding me of these things. And then God has given me this great community then who can, who can stand beside me and offer that gospel friendship that I needed in that moment. But he's also then deepening his relationships with those people along the way. So what could have turned out to be something that isolates me completely, completely and given a different set of circumstances it's, it turned out to be something that bonded me to both him and the people around me. I think a part, so, so people often ask me, are you better? Are you, are you anxiety free? I would say absolutely not. Uh, it's a day-to-day struggle. Oh, um, uh, side note before we get to that, um, Carol did. And one of the things I like to talk about, um, suggest I see a doctor. And that's part of the process. And I will jump back to what I was saying before, but, um, Carol did suggest I see a doctor. And so I went to the doctor, um, got prescribed some medication two actually two different kinds of medication to help with the anxiety. And I just didn't want to take it. And I remember calling her on the phone and saying, I just don't want to take this. And she goes, why? And I go, I like the way my brain works. I was like, stop. Like I was mad. I was mad that she would actually ask me that. I don't know why I was mad at Carol. You can't be mad at Carol. Um, and she goes, do you really? Like, I like the way my brain works. And do you really? Do you really like the way it works right now? And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't. I guess I You're don't. Right. <laughs> you were mad that it, you were, were you afraid it was going to change how you thought? Or that I, you wouldn't be yeah. as, you'd lose all the good stuff. I'd lose good stuff with the medication. Like the, 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 I was afraid the medication would be like just a sledgehammer to me as a person. You'd just be like numb, it zombie. and everything. And, and truthfully, I try to like different dosages and a few different, like more refined medications to get to one now that really works for me. So it's not like this is simple journey and a lot of people try one medication. So if you're over the hump of like taking the medication, which is a big thing, I think for a lot of Christians, that hump of like, you know, this is purely spiritual. There's no physiology here. Um, this is purely spiritual. But I had a friend um, who was my small group leader at the time, and she's actually a type one diabetic and she likened it to her diabetes in a way that was just a gift to me. And she was like, do you think that I should just pray that I don't, that I can make insulin (laughs) and not take my insulin? I'm like, no. And she's like, okay, then let's talk about that. Maybe you should just pray that you make more serotonin. And I know that it's not that simple and people have different theories on mental health things, but medications can be a, a useful tool. It's not always the tool. Like if I were a type two diabetic, I'd have to cut down on my sugar intake and I'd have to do things that kept me healthy, but I might also need insulin. And I think that's one of those cases where, um, um, God really did bless me in a, in a, by the, by the medication, right. That we have this option now. And what I say is it kind of gave me the, um, enough of like a, a measure of self-control kind of put a cap on it enough for me to have like the capacity to start dealing with the things and doing the things like addressing the truth and lies that would have been, I think very hard if I was as ramped up as I was uh, kind of like on D-Day, day zero, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so the medication was helpful though. It took some time for me to adjust and buy into that, but I had people around me who didn't tell me no. So getting over the hurdle of, of taking medication, um, in the Christian world can be hard, probably outside the Christian world. Um, and then it's finding the right dosage, just sticking with it, not just going off at cold Turkey, which can actually make anxiety and depression worse. Um, and so thankfully God provided those people around me who, who can, who could help me. Um, yeah. 
do you want me to kind of life now or do you want a more backstory? Yeah, yeah. Share share like how well how how long did you live with your parents then? Oh, it was like three weeks. Oh, that was just a short, short time. Like maybe like a month, yeah. It Until wasn't you're that out long. of like mm-hmm. just in insanity. But I mean honestly, like after I would say like a week and I I got on certain medications that helped calm me down right away. <laughs> Um, I was, I could already see marked improvement, which is really not typical. So God really blessed me in that sense. Like, yeah, typically it's a longer journey to like pop back out of the, really the deepest part of that hole. Um, but I would say, um, yeah, it, it, we moved back home and I could handle it. And, but my mom and, and Jared's mom were there a lot, just helping um, and they were really, really, uh, it was, it's awesome that we live so near our parents, but I also had friends, um, who would stop by and, and help with different things. So gospel community, I mean, it's, really. it's really cool to see you make that connection to how all that was like a foundation before. Yeah. Like, you know, God knows this thing's going to hit. I can't imagine what it'd be like if you had, it was you and Jared and your three tiny children. Like what? what you do in that situation. I don't know because it maybe would have, I don't, it's hard to say, you know, you can't, you can guess, but I, I would have think it would have probably pitted us against each other because there would have mm-hmm. been some measure of self-preservation if you don't have the mm-hmm. um, other people to step in because my mom kind of helping allow Jared to really just like, this is one of the really awesome unintentional side effects is that Jared really had to step up as a dad and husband in a way that I think I wouldn't have let him apart from this. Hmm. Like most moms are a little afraid to send their three children ages zero, one and three out in public with their husband. And it's, it's maybe warranted. I don't know, but I didn't, God, this is going to sound bad. I didn't care. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so he went and I saw like dudes in 99th percentile dad, he has got it together. Like, and that's because he had to try. I think he's an awesome guy, but he also had to try and I had to let him try because I couldn't do it. I had to let him hear my deepest and ugliest craziness because I had no other choice and he still loved me. And I was like, Oh, you still love me. And then you say, duh, you're married and he loves you. But there's still that inner fear that when that person sees the absolute darkest, weirdest things, I think, will they still love me? And all the time. Right. And all the time. And to see me so like you, did, he did not marry that person. He married a happy, fun, energetic, bounce around the house kind of person. And he had, I don't want to talk to you. You're no- the noise of these people you created. <laughs> It's too much for me. And uh, you might get some me's unloading the dishwasher. That's the best you're going to get. And that's not who he signed up for. And yet he loved me mirroring Christ. You know, when, when we're unfaithful, when we're a wreck, God is faithful. He still loves us, you know, like, and I'm not saying I was unfaithful to Jared. Don't overread that. Um, But like, I was not living up to the deal, so to speak. And he still loved me. And, and so seeing him as this 99th percentile husband and dad, huge thing, you know, and that's, that's the gospel at work there. That's having the community around me who I could trust. And, you know, you have these other people who showed that same kind of love. So even if somebody weren't married and that wasn't the situation, it wasn't a postpartum thing, you could, you can see how you can learn to trust and grow with other people, even in the midst of that chaos. But yeah, I do like the idea of, and that was like, I would say if you're listening to this and everything's going great, 
and you're just like, hey, I want to hear what somebody had to say about anxiety. Get in community because yeah. something's going to happen. Yep. Something will happen. You don't get to live yeah. forever. Life will not be perfect forever. And you need other people around you. And while things are going great for you, you could maybe be that buoy or that life support for somebody else who's struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could be a part of Christian community that way. If you're in the midst of anxiety, you need to reach out and you need to get in that community um, of people who can stand around you. Um, if that's not something that you have, um, so you couldn't do this preparation, but it's not too late if you're in the midst of it to reach out and try to get involved in community too. So, yeah. So how does that affect you? Does it affect your day to day now? Yeah. I mean, I mean, you said it does. How, how does that, I mean, do you feel like now you, you get to a healthier place and you maintain or does it, uh, do you know what I mean by that? Mm -hmm. Like, so now you understand, like, I need to always be applying this truth and, and catching these lies. Yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully that's kind of the, you think of like an athlete gets to a place and then they don't just like super work out and then they wait till they're chubby again and then they super work out. <laughs> like, so what no. does it look like to maintain life? Uh, I've stayed on the medication. My doctor keeps reminding me that when you have teenagers or you have little kids, it's not a good time to go off meds. He said, let's talk about this after your kids have left home. And then I secretly think in my head, well, they're at college or they're getting married because that's going to be so much <laughs> less stressful. Um, but yeah, no, it's a daily thing for me. And some days it's more ever present. It's sort of like that ever present troll on my shoulder. I don't know. And some days he's very loud and some days he's not. Um, and uh, it's real. But honestly, when I look back on this, and this is going to sound hokey, hokey Christian trope, but hang on with me. I'm actually kind of thankful for it. Like if God would, Matt, if God would just like go, oh, heal it, I'd be so thankful. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, I'm free of this. But in some ways I'd feel nervous um, because the person I was before this happened was a much, even though it came off as super friendly and funny, the inner judgment I had for other people who couldn't get themselves together, air mm-hmm. quotes, who couldn't get themselves together was high. And God used this and like, uh-uh, the, the, the scales of pride, that anxiety <laughs> and the, you know, the two decade battle with anxiety has had, um, have made me a better follower of Christ than I could have been away from it. And it's still in so many ways, there's like, I'm like a puppy on a leash. I want to run. I want to run, but God's got a leash on me. Um, and the anxiety, when it starts to flare up, it's like the puppy hit the end of the leash and I start to recognize it as me running. I can, now I can feel the leash getting tight before it totally pulls to like a death strangle, (laughs) which is funny because one of the features of my anxiety is this feeling that I'm like something's in my throat or my throat is clenching. Like it's pretty normal if you have anxiety and you're listening and you're like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, And so it literally feels like a collar on the front of my throat (laughs) strangling me from behind. And so it's like this kind of God leash on me. Like, hey, you're not walking in step with me. I'm asking you to to be within the boundaries of where I'm asking you to be. And you just, you know, off and end of the leash. So cue um, gif of dog on leash now. Um, (laughs) But we're kids. Those videos of kids on leashes in the wall. The backpack with the monkey tail. Um, and so, yeah, it's a daily thing for me now. Um, um, but it's a good thing. I don't love it. 
but it's a good thing and good in the sense of the word biblical, like good and holy, not like, yay, good and happy, not that kind of good, but a good thing, like good and holy. It is good for this to be happening to me. And, you know, pride in me doesn't want to admit that. And honestly, I get frustrated on days. The anxiety is worse. I had a bad day last, um, before Christmas. And I remember saying to Jared, I was like crying, which is hard for me to admit. Cause I cry like four times a year. Um, I was saying, I just don't want to be like this. I just don't want to be like this. And he didn't say anything. He just sat there and, you know, awkwardly patted my back. So he always says this, like with his fingers are like stretched way out. Like, <laughs> like you're going to think do. you're going to catch anxiety? No. He's a pro though. He's to a pro. Not, to not say anything is a pro move. Yeah, pro move. Just let me go. That's a pro husband. Yep. Yeah, really. Just See? don't say anything. 99th percentile right there. It took me a while to learn that too. <laughs> I learned that by my wife saying just... Just don't say anything <laughs> enough times. <laughs> just stop. Oh, you really mean that? No, yeah. I'm not. There's no magic words you have here. And at the end, you'll say, can I pray for you? Once he thinks I'm kind of done. And I'm like, per- that's actually a perfect move. You could do a whole podcast on that for husbands. Um, but yeah, it's, it, I had a bad day. And I got overactivated, anxious about things that were unrealistic and let my mind wander and obsess. And I wasn't leaning into the truth. And as I got home, after I talked to my husband, he had to, this is really embarrassing, but he had to drive me home from a school function the kids were at because I could not get it together, like could not get it together. And so he drove me home and he had to go back up to school. And thankfully, I had a friend from small group who I could call and say, um, this is what happened. This is what I'm obsessing about. This is the irrational thought in my mind. Um, and, um, she was able to just offer true statements back. Um, she knows my struggle. She knows what I need. Um, and it was really knows me well enough. And she used one of a few people who I could have called. So she just happened to be somebody who's home. And we talked on the phone for a little bit until I could, um, like maybe access more truths. Um, and you know what a huge gift that is to have these two people who are willing to put up with me when I am, I feel very unlovable and it was, it's humbling. It's like a giant pride swallow to call somebody, even some of your closest friends and say, I am a lunatic. Do you want to hear the crazy stuff? Cause if I told you right now, and I'm not gonna, um, if I told you right now, um, what I was thinking, you'd be like, that's crazy. That is not ever going to happen in one pajillion years. I'm sure pajillion is a real number. Um, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, and so you'd be like, that's nuts. And you would say that's irrational. Um, but at the time it felt so, so real in that moment. And then I have these people who are like, yeah, of course you look back on it. It's an embarrassing, but just knowing what God does with that is a pretty good thing. So and I think it's really encouraging to hear not only what to do when you're in that, but how encouraging. I mean, for people listening to this, this this applies to everyone. Mm-hmm. Because not only if I'm in that, what steps should I take to move towards people? But also if I'm not in that, I need to move towards my friend who's talking irrational. and Because mm-hmm. that's also not necessarily my preference at that moment to listen on the phone. <laughs> but sure. knowing like how important, that's a yep. huge deal. To let someone just talk, let it let it out, pray for them, maybe sure speak my, a little truth, you know, like, it's okay. Yeah, I'm sure it's my okay. friend would have rather have watched whatever she was watching on Netflix and eaten her dinner yes. than spend that 20 minutes on the phone yeah. with me. 
but she did it and uh, I was blessed by it. And so that's hard in remembering. And I have been on the receiving end of those phone calls too. And it's amazing how you can have have all that act knowledge, all that access to all that knowledge and still, you know, it's still in that moment when that anxiety ramps up to have those people around you. Someone else. Yeah. Of course that happens far less. That's, that was an unusual experience for me now. Um, but there was a time where that was not an unusual experience for me. That was, that was more happened very often. And so when I cycle back there, it's just really, it feels really defeating in the moment. Um, but there are true statements that I have to access that, and panic attack can only last 20 minutes. It's a real thing. Like physiology says you can only panic for so long. And so, but yeah. And just remind you of like the, we're broken mm-hmm. and we need a savior and, and how good one day when that's not a thing. Oh yeah. How crazy is that? One day that won't be a thing. Yeah. Which is pretty amazing. I think the more you suffer, the more that is like, Jesus coming back is just so so sweet. When you talk to old people oh. and they say, praying again every every day I pray Jesus will come back and you're like, What? Every day? You think, Oh yeah. Sixty years of suffering. You're ready for him to come make stuff right. I know. You're very yeah. ready for it. <laughs> or yeah, you're ninety five years old and you're like, Everything I do hurts me. Yeah. And then I'm This blink. isn't right. Yeah, Something's this wrong. Isn't right. <laughs> Something's wrong. Yeah. Uh, and it's crazy. I, on a side note, just think of one of my friend's grandparents passed away a couple of days ago and she, she happened to be there when he passed with their grandma and grandpa. And, um, while they were waiting, like literally waiting for a, like a corner to show up, um, she was sitting in the other room at the kitchen table with her grandma who was in her mid nineties. That's mm-hmm. like way to go. That's some lasting power yeah. there. And her grandma's first words were, I have so much to be thankful for. And I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, instantly cried when she's telling, she's crying, telling me this. I instantly start crying. I'm like, that is amazing. Like the power of God at work in you because 95 has to kind of suck. Right. The stuff you've seen, experienced. Right. Yeah. The, the pain you feel, the life you've been through, how much, you know, you're not, you're living in a world you're not designed for. Um, but how much she could access truth at age 95 truth came to her what seemingly so easily in such a dark moment. We're talking moments after the death of your spouse for whatever, maybe 70 years. Right. And you're, and that's your reaction. And that's your reaction is I have so much to be thankful for. I'm like, I hope I've got that gear. If I live close to that, even. Yeah. Just and, not angry could be good. Right. And part of that right wow. now is me learning to suffer well, learning mm-hmm. to in the midst of things that are struggles for me. And yeah, you can say it's first world to <laughs> be obsessed, hyper obsessed about things that aren't real. It totally is. But it's the world I live in. Um, and it's it's really what's happening to me. And I can either use that and like pity myself or um, get stuck in my own endless loops or I can use it to uh, really lean into God and really grow his body through my own suffering. Like God hasn't wasted it. God hasn't wasted it. And so I think that's been the amazing part of all of it that God hasn't. Yeah. Say it again. God hasn't wasted it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you do that for the next Many, many years you learn, you learn over and over that you, you should be thankful. Yeah. Yeah. That's when you're 95. You have how many times she had to speak truth <laughs> to get to that moment, to get to the moment where you go, like it just becomes habit of like, 
I have I have a terrible perspective. I should be thankful and yeah. My first thought if my husband passed away suddenly would not be I have so much to be thankful for, which actually gives me a goal. Like Yeah. Not don't don't hear me wrong, God. I'm not begging. <laughs> Just look to heaven when I said that for the listeners. Oh, those those people though. You, you meet a ninety year old believer who you just sit with for a few minutes and you think I got six things I could work towards from just the way they talk and mm-hmm. pray and listen and oh, it's good. Everyone should find someone a ninety year old they can hang out with. No kidding. That's what we need more of. Plug for volunteers at nursing homes, right? There we go. Seriously. Truly. 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 And those truly. stories are hilarious. Really. And they're a, yeah. lot, of, a lot of fun. Yeah. So. Very fun. Um, thanks a lot, Natty. Again, um, what are things that connect people? Restoring hope. Restoring you're hope. hope. If you're um, struggling with this or even, I mean, I'd say not even, you haven't moved into your parents' house yet. You right. just are start. You just could use someone to start processing oh, yeah. things. Do it well before <laughs> you have to move in with your parents. Uh, when you feel, you have that panic attack. That If you've been having panic attacks, even if they're now and then, go t- go meet mm-hmm. with somebody from Restoring Hope or at least bring it up if you're in a small group, which a lot of people, vast majority of people who go to Hope regularly are. Talk to your small group leader about that. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily because they're going to be totally equipped to help you through it, but they're going to be empathetic to the process and really help encourage you to take some good steps toward that um so talk to a small group leader you can even reach out um to our staff team uh you can send an email to hope h-o-p-e at hopecc.com that's sort of um uh a general intake that will help sort out, you know, like if you, if that's the, if that's what you can, it'll be confidential. It doesn't go out to our entire staff team. Somebody sorts through it and sends it in the right direction. So that's an option that you could email. And of course, like, um, if you should talk to your doctor, this isn't just in a vacuum of a spiritual truths versus lies. There's other things at play here and you can talk to your doctor about good options for you. Um, and you could see a counselor. There are a lot of really great licensed counselors. Restoring Hope can actually give you some um, um, starting places if that's something you'd rather do. Most insurances do cover some sort of mental health counseling. And then, of course, uh, having said this, if if you're in a really dangerous spot with yourself or you're thinking about harming yourself, reach out to somebody who can really really help you in the now make sure you're getting to um, talk to a live human being even if that's you can call 911 yourself or you can call 911 on yourself that's a real thing um and they'll help you if, but just wanting to make sure people are reaching out if that's where they're at thanks a lot Danny, for sharing that's really helpful for me and hopefully for many people um thanks for listening to the podcast you can listen to other episodes uh we talked to natty about um some other things um, check that one out and check all sorts of episodes with different people from Hope staff and Hopesters. Um, also, our sermon, uh, our sermons are up every week from our different locations. Thanks a lot for listening.